Hey guys, welcome to the first episode in a Life of Movement podcast. What I really hope to bring to this podcast is a cohesive and well-developed and pervasive um, understanding of some of the most common traps that people get stuck in with regard to muscle and joint pain, particularly chronic muscle and joint pain. And so this is not going to be uh, medical advice, and it certainly doesn't replace medical advice or seeing a doctor. Uh, I'm an engineer by training, I, and so, you know, I am not a doctor, although my experience has been having years of very debilitating chronic uh, muscle and joint pain where I was kind of on the slow downward spiral until I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia, which typically is seen as something that most people don't recover from. But I was luckily, lucky enough to have the, the means and the will and the drive to really do a lot of experimenting and, and kind of deep research. And so everything from reading medical textbooks and journals and trying many different physical therapists and doctors and, and tying that whole bundle together, as well as a very broad exploratory experiential research side of things where you know, trying yoga and Tai Chi and acupuncture and massage and, you know, antidepressants and psychotherapy and the list goes on and on. And so what we're really going to be bringing to this podcast is just a sense of how can we feel better in our bodies and make it so that the decisions which we enact make it so that as time goes on each month, we feel better and better in our bodies as opposed to kind of having a slow or fast de degrade in the quality of our life. And so in some people's situation is going to be much more benign than my situation was. Some people just have, you know, some, some chronic shoulder or, or, you know, ankle, hip, knee, whatever pain that is uh, not what they would like in their life but it doesn't seem like the biggest priority for them. Other people are gonna be in a much worse off situation where they struggle to get out of bed because their body just feels like it's on fire. And just going back to kind of the preface and the warning, the reason you is really so critical to see a medical professional is because there are a lot of things which can cause chronic pain that would be relatively hidden to an individual, right? Things like, you know, cancer or, or Parkinson's or uh, a lot of neurodegenerative diseases or certain kinds of infections. There's genetic conditions. There's a whole host of things that can really cause pain in the muscle and joints that, um, you know, is really something that a medical professional is really going to be able to do a lot about. That being said, there is a, is a whole host and, and kind of class of chronic pain I hesitate to call them conditions, but states that we can get ourselves stuck in that, frankly, the medical industry as it currently stands is not very good at tackling, right? There's a, a lot that a 15 to 20 minute doctor appointment or even, uh, you know, three weeks of physical therapy is just really not going to tackle. And so because of that, right now in the United States, we have almost 100 million people diagnosed with chronic pain. Some of those people, of course, have those more nefarious things that uh, you know, or not something I'm going to talk about. You know, chronic headaches is a is a big deal. I am frankly quite ignorant of chronic headaches, 
but I am pretty well versed and uh, know a lot about the the muscle and joint and you know the back pain the knee pain as well as to some extent uh, fibromyalgia that was kind of my own my own journey and so the the lens that we're going to be taking to these problems is seeing we have these big institutions that exist um, that all kind of have their own opinions on what what the the main cause or the problem is and what we want to move from is from this this lens of your body being like a broken car where if you just find the one thing that's broken you go in you fix it and then the car works again rather we want to think of our body a little bit like a a relationship where you know what what causes a relationship to be dysfunctional it's like there's a lot of things and not only are there a lot of things, but they all interact with each other, right? There's, there's feedback loops left and right, and, as, and they compound, right? If a relationship's not going well, it's easier for that relationship to keep not going well and to get worse. And certainly the same is true for pain, right? Um, and to some extent, you could reverse the question and ask what causes chronic well-being? Um, there are things which uh, the better they go, the better it gets. Obviously, there's, there's ceilings, right? But... Um, that's really what we're looking about or going to be thinking about. And so we're really going to be tying some of, you know, the, the experience and the stories and, and kind of trying to take a, a anthropological lens. We're going to look at like, what are all the, the medical options? What's going on there? And how can we make sense of them? Because we tend to have this experience of going in and some people may be very confident or you know they're like here's some things we can try and we go through a series of them and then eventually we don't really have a, a strong sense of agency that there's something that we can do about it because we've gone to many many people who have given us an option that really doesn't seem like it, it's it's helped and and my belief is certainly that that most of these institutions have a piece of the puzzle but but we're not we're doing a, a bad job putting the whole puzzle together in a way that that goes from these little individual nuggets into a, a beautiful and coherent picture of of living a life where as we wake up in the morning we are so glad to be in our body and not only are we glad to be in our body but we're actually gaining traction you know we feel better and better so that's really what we're going to be investigating and i think part of my belief is is so strongly about um, about kind of understanding and, and having really broad self-awareness of the context that we're in so that we can make just better individual decisions. So I want to start off with kind of my own personal story of just, you know, who am I? What have I gone through and experienced and what are uh, where am I coming from so that you know as as I as I say things where is this situated you know what biases may I have what um, what blind spots may I not have considered or perhaps what areas have I focused on and am likely to have um, some really deep insights into so the we 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 tend to want this Rather, let me rephrase. When we see someone that seems extremely confident and that they're they're just killing it, 
we're very attracted to that, but the problem is that that is almost never how reality is. And so, you know, when we go towards these kind of uh, almost celebrity or, or, or you know, godlike figures almost that seem they just have the answer, really what it, it tends to be is that they've, they've created this wave of, of people behind them who are so excited, but they, if you look very deeply, they themselves don't really actually have the depth of the answer. And so when we're dealing with our own well-being, we really need to crank up the honesty. So here's my story. We're going to start at the beginning and kind of go to where I am now. And so the beginning really does start with what were my experiences with my body as a kid? I was not an athletic individual at all. Um, and I certainly wasn't in the shape that I am in now. I was the kid who struggled to do one pull up and, and was not only embarrassed, but felt like I was dying when I tried to run the mile and I wasn't really good at sports. Um, and so that didn't leave a great impression on my body of getting into sports or getting into physical activity. And, and I, I grew up in a small town and I didn't have much exposure to things like yoga or dance or you know, gymnastics, horseback riding. Like there's so many things that, um, that's actually funny. I grew up on a horse farm. I did have exposure to horseback riding, but the other things, not so much. Um, but, but th so there was a whole world that I was missing and the world that I saw was not great, you know? There was a lot of, uh, it's not gonna work out for me when I go and do these physical activities that they've taught me. At the same time, being in a desk all day sucked. I was very happy to get up and move around and I wanted, I desperately wanted more movement and to, and to be in my body. I, I was a very playful child, you know? I wanted to, to climb the trees and to do this stuff. Um, but it wasn't, our PE system's a joke. It does not create healthy individuals. For the most part, it shames individuals away from moving so that if you're not in the top 5% of athletics, you're just kind of shoved to the wayside. Um, and so I think that's, that's a, a problem in our society and we'll, we'll talk about to some extent how to undo that as well as how can we push society in, in a better direction. But for my own personal story, I didn't really start becoming physical until I was in university where I became attracted to weightlifting. And, you know, th that started out as a, a very, um, I, had, I don't want to say it was neurotic, but it was certainly self-indulgent, right? I didn't want to have the shape of body that I did. And I saw people becoming strong and muscular. And, you know, as a, as a young male, I was very attracted to this. And so I, I started reading how to do weightlifting and I started going to the, the gym at the university and lifting weights, um, which, which really was a, was a formid and great experience for myself because it was just me with myself. And, you know, I, I had challenges and senses of, of, of progression um, and I did see transformations in my body. Uh, at, and at the same time, I started gaining this, this appreciation, which at the time was really underdeveloped of how much is there to learn in the realm of, of using this body. Using your body and having a relationship with your body is as complex as 
knowing advanced mathematics, where if you're really into mathematics, you know, calculus, which is the ceiling maybe for most of us, or beyond the ceiling for most of us, is really just the beginning of advanced mathematics. And really using our bodies the same way. Most of us are so incredibly ignorant, both from a theoretical and a knowledge standpoint, which we're still, you know, as a scientific community learning about, um, but it's from an experiential standpoint, right? We're so, so underexposed, especially when we consider that we're humans, we're, we're homo sapiens. We grew up in an environment where we were moving 12 hours a day, 14 hours a day. Like movement was what we did. And it, it wasn't this, you know, it, it actually wasn't crazy like weightlifting or, or gymnastics or anything like that. Um, and so, you know, I want to tie it back to the story, but we're built for movement and we're, we're built in such a way that expects movement. Um, there's a lot of things beyond movement that we're going to talk about, but that's just going to be an important and recurring theme. So, you know, back to the story, I, I was uh, doing this weightlifting and that was a very positive experience. But at the same time, due to my, my I, I was attempting to be safe, right? I was looking up good form, but I was so profoundly ignorant and such a beginner that I, of course, and, you know, I was a young college kid who just wanted to, to push things as hard as he could. And so, you know, I accumulated some, some knee injuries, some shoulder injuries. My back didn't feel great. Frankly, my, my, while I was excited to have the body that I did it, my body didn't really feel great. I was like tired and sore all the time. And I was constantly hungry. It wasn't the healthiest way to, to be in your body. Um, but it was a start and that was really important. So, from there, I, I graduated college with a degree in computer science, and I, I got a job. I was accepted as a software engineer at Amazon, and so that was very exciting. And I decided to take some time off uh, between uh, college and starting the job, and so I took five weeks, and I, I did the quintessential Euro trip. You know, I had a backpack, scheduled some hostels, and I was going to go, you know, Ireland and Belgium and Germany and I was going to visit Norway and see all these places I had never been outside of the United States before and I I, I landed and I was very excited um, and even though I had some of these injuries I was I was feeling good because I wasn't doing anything crazy I was going to do some some hiking and I was going to do some walking and even though five weeks with a backpack sounds crazy you know it's like well mostly I was stationed at, at hostels where there was a place to put my bag and I, I could rest and hang out and so things things felt pretty good um, but but over time as as the trip went on my body started kind of degrading more and more and I wasn't doing anything crazy uh, but it started definitely taking an emotional toll because here I was kind of taking this this transitional journey and what felt like an opportunity of a lifetime um, and while I was excited to you know see the the amazing nature and and the great cultural uh, heritage and, and the, the landmark uh, things and and get to know the, the different the cultures and the locals uh, but I I was distracted from them I I, I would have brief glimpses of the glory that I was expecting from this trip. And, and instead, I was just noticing 
my knee, my back, my foot, you know, my body just like was not happy. And, and this was going on more and more. And so by the end of it, I was fair, frankly, I was like pretty sad because I had taken, you know, this quintessential journey. And frankly, I, I didn't enjoy it a lot. There was some great moments, but ultimately it was mostly feeling bad. So I come, I come back, I, I move to Seattle and I, things are going okay. I, I start the job. It was the first time in my life I've had any money. So that was nice. Um, but there were really some experiences that, that started stacking up where it, it got to this point, um, where I was really starting to, to fall apart and struggling to keep it together. My friends would invite me to, to concerts and, you know, I was very excited about this. I was into music in college. Um, but the experience was really one of suffering and sadness. And, you know, I was trying to fake it and I wasn't really making it. I would go to concerts and there would be this overwhelming sensation of music that I was really into, but very shortly, instead of hearing the music, I would hear my body and I would hear my mind and I, I just would feel not good. It was not fun. Here were my recreational activities and I wasn't enjoying them. And what was worse was that this was degrading my, my, my social infrastructure. I was very lucky I moved out to, to Seattle with a fair number of, of friends who went to the same university that I did, but I was really becoming more and more isolated because I would hang out with them and I would just start to feel my body more. And that made me a less fun person to hang out with, right? There's this social train of energy and everyone's like, choo, 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 going along. And here's Wes just being like, uh, struggling to keep it together. Like, can I stay on the train? And frankly, I'm holding the train back more than I'm pushing it forward. And so not only was I less excited to do the social activities, but I was less excited to do all of the activities. Um, and that's not to say that I was just succumbing to this, right? I, I was aware that this was happening. And throughout this there was this was kind of the time where i started to see more and more medical professionals and myself being very interested in what was going on one of the things that's kind of a turning point in chronic pain is a reshifting of priorities away from whatever the priorities were beforehand to the issue itself. Many people have chronic pain and it does not become their priority. You know, they'll, they'll have tennis elbow or a rotator cuff issue or, or whatever it may be. And they just kind of live with it. And for some people, that's, that's fine. I'm actually never going to say that your priority must be your body because there are so many other things in life that um, are, are really important, not only for survival, but for your own meaning. However, 
for a lot of people, the meaning must become the issue because it, de it, it removes the capability to get meaning and value and enjoyment from all of the other areas. And so depending on where you're at and how things are going, it can, it can be a priority as a preventative technique where you're like, some part of my body is degrading and I need to use this body for the rest of my life. So it better, like I better fix it before it becomes a, an issue. And I, I think that's a very wise decision. But again, people are in different circumstances. For others, it becomes the issue out of necessity because everything else that would be meaningful is no longer meaningful. Um, and I, I was lucky enough to to have the means and the will and the drive of, you know, I was an intensely curious person. I really believed in learning and I, I was very self-confident. And so, you know, I, I started out by, you know, going to family physicians, um, to going to sports medicine or like orthopedic surgeons and going to physical therapists. Um, and you know, I, I, I started just like everyone else. You know, I go to the doctor, I'm like, Hey, here's what's going on. My, my body seems to just be falling apart. Uh, what's up? Um, and of course there was just a, a whole line of, of tests and experiments. And, you know, I even had like an MRI in my brain and I'm not going to say that any of these are, are unreasonable, especially if you're having much more widespread pain. Um, funny enough, we're actually going towards less imaging and testing for specific things like low back pain and, and shoulder and knee pain to some extent. And we'll certainly be getting into that in the future episodes of like what's going on in the medical industry and, and why are we making these decisions? But certainly as pain becomes more intense or, or widespread, there, there is a lot of justification for, you know, this broad spectrum of tests. And, and of course, some of that is just our messed up medical system and our our frenzied desire to sue people for astronomical amounts of money. And so, frankly, the doctors are covering their asses a lot. Um, and that's that's part of the system that we live in. And it's unfortunate and we need to work towards it. But at the current state, that's, that's what we have to deal with. Um, but it can also be very justified because there are, again, a lot of things that, that can cause pain in unusual ways that you definitely would want to know about. Um, but so had this, uh, large swaths of tests. Of course, everything came back completely fine. Um, on paper, I looked like a very healthy individual. And so went to some orthopedic doctors, they recommended physical therapy. And, um, as things were progressing, I started to do my own online research and looking at what Given, given my uh, symptoms and, and what I was experiencing and what the doctors were saying, what, what kind of things seemed to have the best outcomes. And uh, physical therapy was definitely on the top and it by far had what felt to me like the most reasonable explanation. I, I mean, at the time, I was a hyper-rational, very scientific, your stereotypical STEM nerd who's like, you know, everything must make sense to the T. And so, so I started physical therapy um, and really wasn't getting anywhere. And like the stubborn young 20 something man that I was, uh, I decided that, uh, 
you know, I just really needed to do it better and to learn more. And so this was a very interesting time, even though it wasn't a fruitful time, at least in the, with respect to my pain, where I was started reading kind of like, like who are the top physical therapists? What, what blogs do they have? What do they say? Um, I was getting uh, medical textbooks on, you know, fibromyalgia and, and hypermobility and a lot of these, these other things that were kind of in the vague sphere of what was going on. And um, it turned out that I actually uh, did have a, a hypermobile genetic condition and, and there were some other things going on. So I was like really going down that road. Um, and, and so I was in physical therapy for two years. I was lucky enough to um, I, I chose not to get any kind of surgeries. Um, none of them seemed to make sense. And the uh, percentage of success, like how successful surgeries are, are not great. And there are a lot of people who are quite dissatisfied that they, they get surgeries. And you know, I was lucky enough to stay away from, from opiates, which uh, in, in retrospect was a very good decision because while there are certainly some people that... Um, are helped by them in general for long-term progress it just makes things even harder and something that's already hard much more difficult so i got lucky in, in those respects but I, I was in this physical therapy and i saw multiple physical therapists because like well maybe this one's just bad um and you know i i do want to give a lot of of respect to physical therapy because one as a field they're progressing and advancing um and they're trying to push their their field and their profession forward and they're they're trying to be very uh reasonable and grounded and i i appreciate that heavily but um we also need to understand that physical therapy's rates of recovery for chronic pain are still while in if you if you just ranked the individual things where like if you do one thing what's some of the most successful it's physical therapy and yet their rates of success are still horrible they're like not not good at all and so that that's a clear sign that it's like, well, maybe there's something there, but maybe what they have is like definitely not the answer. Um, and uh, so, you know, during this time of physical therapy, um, it was kind of this like structural approach, which is really common and, and we're advancing past it. Uh, and pain science is kind of um, re really, really going forward. But in a lot of, a lot of clinics and a lot of uh, medical professionals still kind of believe in this this structural model pretty heavily, and it's just a, a brief kind of um, you know explanation. This is basically the idea that a lot of muscle and joint pain comes from essentially poor posture. It's the idea that if you had ideal posture, your muscles would be or your bones rather would be stacked on top of each other in a way that is the most mechanically efficient and, and optimal. And this just reduces the stress on, on your whole body. This makes a lot of sense, um, but it doesn't turn out to be that useful. If you just survey and do a widespread statistics on the whole population, what you end up obviously you're not doing it on the whole population, but on large swaths of the population, what you find is that a lot of people who don't experience any pain at all have terrible posture. And a lot of people who are in chronic pain have seemingly much better posture. And so posture probably has a 
a large amount of influence uh, if you're doing really high impact things or highly skilled athletics. But if you're just being an average individual and you want to not feel terrible, um, working on posture is probably not the number one target you should be focusing on. And we'll go a lot more into this, um, but we'll, we'll give a little, uh, a little fast forward and we'll press pause on, on my story of, of being in this, this kind of physical therapy um, track, just to say that one of the ways that we will begin to think about chronic pain is from this, this model of pain in some sense is uh, a way for, for your body to protect itself. It's, you know, an evolved mechanism to say, don't put your hand in the fire. Uh, getting bit by a tiger is probably bad. But that's all controlled by the nervous system. So in chronic pain, we need to ask the question, why is the body not able to regulate itself and recover its ability to sense what is and is not dangerous appropriately? Because as it turns out, a lot of times in chronic pain, it appears that there's like, you know, nothing quote unquote wrong from a, a strictly tissue perspective, right? The muscles and the joints, they look fine on MRI, they look fine on x-rays and, and, you know, things seem to be okay, but there's this pervasive set of pain and not only that, but pain seems to be coming more widespread and things that before didn't cause pain now do. And there's this kind of degrading quality to it, even after acute injury. And so one of the more interesting things that's come out of pain science in the last, you know, 20, 30 years is refocusing on our efforts on why is the nervous system perceiving threat in areas that don't seem like they should be threatening? you know, almost in a way that has some relations to um, like trauma or, or, or PTSD or um, these kind of experiences that seem logically like they would just be okay, uh, but we don't seem to be able to get ourselves out of. And that's, again, just a piece of the puzzle because there's actually, I think, I think that's a good overarching frame, but what that means and what we need to do about it and how pervasive that is encompassed is, is actually quite broad, right? Like if you have a, a legitimate physical injury, it's very true to say that your nervous system is accurately detecting threat. So a lot of pain is, a, is an accurate detection, but we also want to see what is a, maybe a, an inaccurate detection. And so some of that will be, that means we, we not only need to pay attention to the things that are real indicators of threat, you know, and, and real indicators of well-being. But we also need to see, is there ways in which our bodies are misrepresenting the magnitude of the situation or the context with which we're in, which is um, part of this, like why we need to be hyper honest with ourselves and kind of like pull things under the, out, out from under the rug. Back to the story of physical therapy. So I was doing a lot of these, uh, you know, structural exercises and I was working on my posture and you know, the joke in physical therapy is that no one does their homework and it's like, well, uh, this was my priority. So, you know, it's like I was spending at least an hour a day 
doing not only the exercises that were prescribed to me, but kind of supplemental ones that I was finding, uh, you know, through through my research. And I wasn't getting anywhere. If anything, things were going to hell even faster. Um, so that was that was really frustrating. Um, and it was depressing and I was anxious um, and I was I was sad but but not only was I sad I was I was of course repressed right because as anyone who's been in bad pain for a long period of time knows it's like uh, there's a certain point where if you're hurt for a little bit people around you can be very supportive and if you're hurt for a long period of time they don't know what to do with you and uh, you know at, at worst they're they're aggressive towards you and they think you're lying or something like that. And, and at best they're like, I don't know. So there was certainly a lot of, a lot of sadness, uh, that, that was not being displayed and there wasn't an outlet for it. So that, that was an additional stressor. And of course I was anxious and depressed cause I didn't know when is the pain going to be greater? When is it going to be less? You know, like, the nice thing about spraining your ankle is that you know exactly like what happened, what's going on, and you know you can kind of predict what is and isn't going to make it feel bad, and you know it's just kind of going to get better. And with chronic pain, you don't know. It's like, well, I'm going to roll a 20-sided dice, and sometimes it's going to come up hurt, and sometimes it's going to come up not hurt, and I don't know what's going on. And I think we can learn a lot about what's going on, but um, it's, it's very distressing. Um, and I felt like I was doing absolutely everything that could be done. And I just wasn't getting anywhere. And so this was kind of the story of, you know, two years. Um, and I learned a ton, right? Because I, I, in those two years, I, I read at least two or three full medical textbooks and God knows how many journal articles in uh, musculoskeletal, musculoskeletal, you know, physical therapy and or orthopedics and general medicine kind of, kind of uh, uh, university research journals and tons of blogs and countless videos and stuff like that. And I just wasn't getting anywhere. And then, you know, as of course happens in a lot of life, I stumbled upon things that helped. On the other hand, my refocus and my efforts not only gave me context to understand the things that, that did end up helping, but it also led me in directions that made them more likely. So, you know, partial luck and partially created your own luck, my own luck, whatever. And so the really, the, the first thing, which was actually kind of minor, but but was part of that long trail to, to feeling good was I started uh, dating this woman who was was very lovely and she was a partner dancer. So partner dancing, you know, salsa, blues, swing, tango, those sorts of things. And uh, this was our first date. And of course, I, I wanted to uh, impress her and things are going well. You know, we talked in the cafe for like six hours or whatever. And, you know, she mentioned that there was a partner dance that night. And so I was like, okay, here we go. And so I tried it and I, I ended up sticking with it. And it was hard because, of course, I didn't know how to dance. Um, I was a nerdy kid who played video games when he was growing up. 
but but I learned and I and I got out there and um, partner dance did a lot of good things for me. You know, the nice thing about partner dance is that it's uh, it's relatively low impact. So if your body doesn't feel great, it's unlikely to hurt it in a way that makes it feel much worse. So at the very least, it's like, well, it's a good outlet for just general, you know, sweating, getting some movement. And that's not to say that I didn't have times where I went dancing, you know, and then came back and felt like a train wreck. But most of the time, I didn't feel any worse than I started, which doesn't mean that I felt great. But there was certainly some benefits to just getting some exercise. And there was also the benefits of like, you know, I was getting touch and contact with people and I, you know, it was more social and I felt like I was doing something where again I was progressing so I felt like I was gaining some skills and that was good and you know I liked music and and I was able to you know feel like I was you know impressing this girl that I cared about so th so there were certainly you know multiple things that were that were going well for it and it also just you know increased my okay I there was something I tried and even though I don't feel great like I was able to do something wonderful and then one day I was just scrolling on Facebook like a mindless zombie and I saw that there was a free Tai Chi day in the park that was near my house at the time. Um, and so I was like, you know, Tai Chi sounds kind of hokey. They have all this talk about like, you know, energy and chi and whatever is going on there. But at the same time, there was some research that showed that, uh, you know, Tai Chi could be uh, helpful for for chronic pain and that you know for people who didn't have a lot of physical capacity it was a great way to keep moving because it was also low impact and I was like okay whatever we'll try it we'll go and I did and oh my god the difference well Tai Chi was the first thing where I did it and you know it was a 50 minute class or whatever and I felt so much better. And that's not to say that I felt well. It's not to say that I, I, I did this practice for an hour and my problems were fixed or that there still weren't a boatload of problems that weren't even addressed. There were, but it was the first thing where I did it and I was like, oh, this is moving forward. This is really taking my experience of my body and really pushing it in a direction that is substantially better than anything I have tried before. So that was very interesting and, and very, uh, I, I immediately signed up for classes. And of course, you know, that first step of difference is always the like, the, the grass is so much greener on this other side. And, and I, I, you know, took classes for maybe a year and you know, there were some times where it felt like Tai Chi wasn't doing anything to me, and other times where I was like, this is the best thing that, you know, has ever happened to me. But, you know, it was good, because it was, it, it's hard to be afraid of it. You're moving relatively slowly, there's no impact, right? You're also really focused on, on your, your whole body, which, as it, as it turns out, your whole body is connected to the, each piece of your body is connected to the other pieces of your body. So if you want to get like really substantial blood flow and open up a lot of those muscles, really reduce a lot of the tension and start just, you know, getting some love into each part of your body, actually focusing on all of the different parts of your body, 
clearly takes more time, but it it you know it makes sure things aren't aren't left uncovered. So that approach was tremendously helpful. And Tai Chi also has the benefit of you know it does work with a lot of imagery and it works with uh, the the breath a lot, which is kind of a great almost a handle that we can have on the the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system. So. When you're really, you know, in an anxious state of pain, it's really good. It's just starting to calm things down and it starts to form a relationship with your body because the attention is less on the outside activity and more on what's going on here. And that can open up a whole door of um, really self-understanding. It also... Uh, you know, will increase the, the resolution at which you can understand your body. So if you think of your, you know, at some point we'll talk about uh, your body maps, which is kind of this concept that your brain has your body kind of mapped out. That's how it knows what's happening where. Um, and the more attention and use that you, you give to different parts of your body, it's kind of like increasing the resolution of that map. So it's like going from one of those old grainy TVs to a new high definition TV. And that turns out to have a, a lot of benefits with respect to uh, pain because one, the, the any issues that may be existing, um, they become smaller because the resolution is finer, which means the area that your mind is drawing around um, that it's concerned about is is tighter as opposed to being these big chunky blocks, right? It also means that if if something if our, our body had detected threat, that means we're going there and we're in some sense like refreshing the data to see like oh how threatening is it now as opposed to working off some some older older uh, information. We'll get into much more of that later, but Tai Chi really does have a whole host of benefits. There's of course some things that it doesn't cover. But it was really this big step in something that felt like in the right direction. Um, and for me personally, I was getting a lot more out of my, let's say, at-home practice than I was the classes. But of course, the classes were how I gained inspiration for what to do uh, at home. Because the difference is at class, and this is true of really any physical class, is that... Um, you know, to some extent, there's more information than you can take in at once. And you're following along to this this stream that's kind of trying to keep the class together as opposed to what your body is actually asking for. So it's important to go and learn from people who are who are advanced, but it's also really important to, to do that, that individual work. So... You know, at this point, it, it kind of led me to, I was able to, to take my lunch breaks at work and go and practice Tai Chi. And now I was at least, I was heavily stabilizing, right? And, you know, this doesn't mean that there weren't a lot of other things that were happening as well. Because, you know, at this point, I was like also trying psychotherapy or massage or, or acupuncture. And, uh, you know, I, I tried a round of antidepressants and I was working on optimizing my sleep and my nutrition and... I was paying more attention to my social factors, um, and so, so there were a lot of things. But but I, I had stabilized now, and was really 
starting to move in a direction of, oh, things are getting better. Um, and things getting better does not mean things are good, right? They meant that every month the trajectory was was positive. And uh, there's this really wonderful graph that I love. And I, I think it's by this person named the sports physio um, where it's a, it's a difference between how what people expect recovery to look like versus what recovery actually looks like. People kind of expect recovery to be this this you know linear line of increasing so that over time you're just getting better and better and what it really looks like is this big clusterfuck that a three-year-old drew with a crayon in every direction where it's like some days are better some days are down and backwards and doesn't seem like anything has any explanation but over the long term the trajectory is still is still upward which means you know um if something is working it will feel like things are getting better but uh, the day-to-day the -day is, is still kind of chaotic and there'll be, there'll be setbacks and there'll be advances and they'll, you know, the day-to-day, -day, the hour-to-hour -hour can just look like a total mess. But on the whole, it should feel like we're getting better if something's actually working. And that's really important to remember. Um, because like for instance, in my own personal story, I, I definitely stayed in physical therapy way too long. Um, and I should have been more exploratory. Um, and all, you can also be too exploratory, right? Because then you don't get to sink your teeth into something, and that's a balance that we all have to figure out how to strike. But So, you know, I, I had at least stabilized, and there were, there were really many pieces of the puzzle. You know, I, I don't want to emphasize that, like, Tai Chi cures chronic pain. It certainly doesn't. Um, but there's there's a lot there and that uh, can be really beneficial and it was for me and of course other people are in different circumstances and so one of the things we'll talk about is like how can we view our circumstance versus just the the kind of like straight rails hard rigid thing that other people are trying to prescribe us right instead what I'd rather give is a broad understanding an, an umbrella into what are all the different nodes and things that we can look into so that you as an individual can make intelligent deep dives. And uh, so, so I had stabilized, right? And then I, I also was doing contact improv, which if you're familiar is this kind of like modern dance technique that if you look at a YouTube video online looks very strange, but is, is actually very, very fun and, and um, really it's, it's a great experience. I highly recommend it. But one of the things about about that dance style is that it's not uncommon to occasionally get, um, you know, uh, like bumps and bruises. Well, when you're in chronic pain, right, it seems like the whole world is terrifying because you're already dealing with this pain that's preventing you from doing the things that were previously quite meaningful. But, well, and so any additional pain is like, oh God, I cannot handle any of that, right? That will just, I'm barely keeping it together as it is. The problem though becomes when we become avoidant of the the things that will be, are, are kind of natural challenges, right? If you look at, at a child learning any new physical activity or learning to walk or just be in the world, right? They're getting bumps and bruises all the time. And this is a natural part of the learning process and a really important thing is that humans are strong. We are tough creatures, right? We, we didn't survive for the last 200,000 years by being weak. We are quite strong. 
you know, it's like it's like you look at military boot camp. It's like this is not easy. Um, so to some extent, we have this this kind of catch twenty two problem where because of the cycle of things that are that are going on around us, we're kind of stuck in this in this uh, having having too much pain to be able to do things. And one of the phases of recovery is is the recognition that actually we have more capacity than we thought we did and that allows us to take on challenges so that we can go back from focusing strictly on the pain itself and being able to shift it back towards these other things in the world that are very meaningful to us which will you know they, they whether they're they're mental social like artistic or physical like like doing anything meaningful will cause bumps and bruises that's just how it is and so, so there's this shifting point where, where like you're both terrified of, of getting any sort of disturbance to your life, but at the same time you recognize that like uh, you are tough and that, that things are hard and that you still want them and you want to do it and you want to, to feel like you can, you can withstand things and, then that, and that you can recover from them. So this was actually quite quite profound for me because I I had this weird mixture of like I would would be in in a in a dance studio or in my living room or you know wherever I was practicing and I would practice something and I'd get a bruise and I, there would be this like this like where I would stop and I was like oh my god you know it's almost like a twitch response like oh that 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 hurt and and then there's this little flame there's this spark that's like excited to try again that feels like you could do or get a little bit better and then there's this whole ocean that's like ah uh, like like I'm, I'm i'm hurting things things are bad my my body is damaged what's going on and you can't you know it's it's just like with a flame right you can blow on it gently and give it some more some more oxygen but if you blow too much the flame goes out and you know you you blow too much and the whole fire pit gets destroyed and you actually get injured and then you actually are set back a lot and and this is this is kind of the game it's finding those little flames and some of that it, you find those flames through a lot of research and experimentation and, and being intelligent but then there's these experiences that you have that that really hone our focus in. And and there's this split second where it feels like like the world gets quiet and then, you know, for the first time in a long time there's this like rush of of excitement or happiness where you're like, oh, there's there's something there. And, you know, so for months I was kind of like cultivating this thing where I you know, I was I was expanding my, my Tai Chi repertoire, I was trying some new dance things and, and I, I was having more fun just dancing to, to you know, music in like my, my living room or whatever where, you know, it's like, cool, it was 10 minutes, it was 15 minutes. That's great, maybe, maybe it was two minutes. And this slow, slow cultivation, right? And, and, you know, the hero's journey always sounds this like, and then I did this and then I did this and then like I slayed the dragon, right? But, but what it feels like day to day is like, fuck oh my god like what is going on and and but you have those moments you have those moments of of insight and calling and direction 
and slowly and slowly the frame the flame grows and so you know one of the things that i i want to emphasize over and over is that recovery day to day just absolute catastrophe but but over the the you know weeks and and you know from like one month to the next it should definitely feel like you are getting better without a doubt and you know what better means each individual is like really different depending on their circumstances right like i'm in the best shape of my life now but for some people they're they may never reach as good as they were when they entered chronic pain right that could have been 20 years ago that could have been five years ago it could have been last year but a lot of things in life shift we age we get older our circumstances change what's meaningful for us changes but i do think that we can get profoundly better than we we are and you know a lot of these things we end up finding are just like these are in some sense what chronic well-being is about it's like we do these things that make us healthier and happier and we find all the things where you know instead of it being the the healthy thing that like oh i don't want to do it it becomes the thing where it's like that is absolutely what i want to do it's how i want to feel and so from this, these experiences, at some point, one of my friends um, in, invited me and asked me to, to join him in a martial arts studio. And I was like, this is crazy. There is no way my body can, can handle martial arts. But at the same time, the flame was calling. I was like, okay, let's do it, right? And I, I, I go to this MMA studio and thank God I got so lucky the instructor was was really really a great person who was used to they 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 weren't they were interested in you know mma and 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 fighting from almost like a like an artistic and a self-development standpoint and they weren't trying to make people the most elite fighters on the planet. They were trying to make the most elite people, maybe let's say, or just good enough people or have people face their fears and stuff. And so regardless, was an amazing human. And the people around me who were taking classes were, were very good uh, and, and supportive. And what ended up happening was, you know, we'd be doing all these drills and stuff. And, and anytime anyone, you know, threw a punch at me, even with a extremely padded, huge, you know, boxing glove like i would just freak out right it's like someone comes and it's like like and and i was so excited even to be at this martial arts thing and so you know i was this mixture of, of excited and happy and it's weird to be like happy and excited and, and terrified and anxious at the same time but i promise that soup can happen and so he took me aside he, he's like weston it's gonna be fine you just have to experience it and know that it'll be fine. And so he's like, I'm going to punch you. We're going to stand here and I'm going to punch you. And this, this may sound ridiculous and crazy, but he did. He had the, the big boxing glove on and I'm, I, I'm, he's like, just stand there. And I'm like, okay, man, I, you know, I trust you and, and, and I'm excited to do these experiments and to conquer my own fears. And so I stand there and he, he takes the thing. He, he does. He punches me in the face. He's like, bop. <laughs> right in the noggin and i'm like and, and then there's this there's this split second where my body's like freaking out and then it's like oh, i'm alive i'm okay i don't really want to get punched in the face again but 
but I'm, I'm stronger than I thought I was. That, that's so cool. And, he, and then he looks at me, he's like, one more. And I'm like, okay. And he goes, bop, <laughs> right in the nose. And I'm like, ah. And but there's this sense of like cold water splashing on your face where you're like, oh, oh my God, it, it, it was all right. And that doesn't make all the anxiety go away. But what it gives you is it gives you a flame. It gives you, it's like, okay, that, that's a, I can work and I, I can become stronger and I can not freak out at all these things. And you know, slowly the anxiety starts to go away. And I, I really had an amazing time at this, uh, this facility. And again, martial arts, definitely not for everyone. Not everyone's gonna have even the interest in martial arts and that's totally fine. There, there is this common component kind of, of, of overcoming your, your fears and finding the things that you really want to do. Um, and so for me, I ended up going from martial arts to parkour, which I, again was another like, are you crazy? But there was someone uh, who was teaching this class um, in, a, in a park that was right next to my house. Um, and it turns out that beginner parkour is nothing like what you see on YouTube. You know, it's not people jumping from rooftops. It's, it's much more reasonable than that. But at the same time, parkour has two kind of fundamental aspects to it that I think are really just, just quite amazing. Um, one of them... Uh, which is shared with with Contact Improv is this ability of falling gracefully, and what I found is that you know as someone in chronic pain, I'm actually terrified of falling down because what if I hurt myself? But the ability to fall gracefully and really well makes you feel so much safer and relaxed and calmer, and it increases your ability to do an infinite number of things because you're like. Oh well, maybe I'll fall, but if I have this nice, graceful roll and I know I know how to enter the ground, like they, it doesn't need to be scary because failure is not a problem. The second thing it does is it, it almost is this beautiful, like mythological conquering of our own fears. Because again, combined with the ability to fall well, a lot of things are like diving off a diving board where you're like, I know I'll be fine, uh, but it's just a matter of of can I conquer that fear? And that ends up being a, a really beautiful journey. And parkour actually combined with dance is, is really this lovely thing that pervasively turns your entire environment into a playground, which going back to what the defaults that society gives us is really necessary because um, like the, the environments that we have are not rich movement environments. They're, they're boring concrete jungles that just are, are not fun. So again, you know, I don't think I don't think dance or, or martial arts or parkour or tai chi or any of these things are, are necessary for an individual to do to improve their chronic pain situation. Um, however, I I think they were particularly well suited to me, and I do think they have um, you know some really nice things to them. But uh, a lot of the things that we'll talk about in the future, as far as like what are the base principles that they have, you know, we can find combinations of these that are much more suited to the individual. So again, it's kind of just trying to get this broad understanding so that you as a person can can mix and match and pick and make the recipe that makes sense for you. So, you know, at this point, I had kind of gone from really falling down a pit to stabilizing to now, like, let's call it liftoff, right? Now the spiral was starting to go up and up and up and my body was starting to get better and better. And And at the same time, I was still doing lots of um, 
research and trying to tie my experiences together into some sort of coherent narrative that like I could understand and and to see I, you know I at this point I had recognized how much stuff I had thrown under the rug and like was hiding from and so you know I was also trying to process a lot of my internal feelings and realize that oh my god I had I was super, I didn't really realize in the beginning how depressed and anxious and, you know, how much emotion I had shoved under the rug and, you know, all this stuff. So those were, those were all important. And now it was just about pulling these things out from under the rug, the demons looking at them one at a time and being like, okay, what's next to conquer off the list? And, you know, it like, it's hard work, but damn, is it meaningful? And... So, you know, it, it was interesting because now the number of things that I could actually tie together, even with my scientific understanding, was, like, much broader. It's like, okay, well, um, like, like theater and improv can actually be interesting with regards to chronic pain because it can help you get over, uh, like, a lot of st fear. Um, it can increase your ability to be imaginative and creative. It helps you pretend to be another person in ways that can be like oddly and surprisingly useful right because if you can go through a five minute skit pretending like you feel something differently that shows that you have the capacity of actually feeling differently and that doesn't mean you just pretend to be someone else but it opens up this door of like oh oh wait that was possible so you know that's interesting it's just there's there's this whole whole sphere of experiences that we can give ourselves that have surprisingly well, well they just have surprising effects and they actually do all tie back to like very very reasonable principles um uh but uh there's a lot of things that we can often just not even think about so I, now i'm in this this liftoff period right and then i realized that you know actually uh having a desk job was just so hard and it, it was really killing me and so and and it wasn't it wasn't meaningful and one of the things that i have profound belief in is that if you're doing something that doesn't um make sense to you right your body will create more tension and it's like a lot of the th or more depression or more anxiety because it's like all those stresses and struggles of of doing any action if you don't profoundly want that thing then you're going to be trying to find ways of escaping it. You're going to try and find ways of protecting yourself from it. And, and, you know, in some sense, these are, these are not like profound insight, right? These are just like everyday experiences that if you just look at it in knowledge, you're like, yeah, when I like don't want to do things, I tend to be more tense and like, I tend to not feel as good. Like, duh. Um, so I actually was able to switch to a part-time team, which was very helpful and kind of just, really dive into more more and more research and and to start doing some writing and and talking with other people and, and going to events and and this was you know I, I became more excited and then eventually i was like okay i'm gonna leave this job I'm, I'm gonna leave being a software engineer and i moved to san francisco where i started producing uh podcasts and videos like this and be able to write more and find more people to talk to and run even more experiments because now I have all this time where I can just really go through the literature, find out like, okay, what if we try this? What if we try this? What if we try this? And an individual experience, you know, doesn't, doesn't map onto everyone. Like that's the problem. If, if you, if you think it happens, like just cause it produces an effect to you doesn't mean it'll produce that effect in other people. Right. And so we have this 
dichotomy between like a hard double-blinded placebo-controlled trial that like has a much stronger barrier of evidence that is more likely to apply to more people but the the breadth at which it understands something is often a little can be narrow right then we have the individual experience which is rich with all of this this like context and 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 things swarming around themselves and like what's going on and but but may not apply to other people and there's a lot of you know we're very good at uh, fooling ourselves about what causes what and so you know you have this like in between state where it's like well double blind placebo controlled trials are like pretty bad if what you're trying to do is play basketball or or have a good relationship um and also if you just ask someone what they did at basketball or in a good relationship it may not apply to you so we kind of have to find this this middle ground where we're like okay based on all this science stuff it seems like these things are true but we have this wider more creative net of things that we can try because the things that we are more confident are true are still just small pieces of a very large picture and then we have this big expanse of possibilities and so we need to kind of like we use these almost as scaffoldings you know we use the hard evidence as scaffoldings to filter the rest of our experience through and that allows us to be be creative, adapt quickly, try a lot of new things, and learn from other people who are doing well, right? Like, it's uh, it's very strange to me that, in some extent, a lot of medical school doesn't involve at least some portion of, like, anthropological exploration into people, like, just as an individual human going and looking at other people who seem to be doing very well and seeing, like, what do people who feel good do? What do people who are in chronic pain do? Like, how do they live differently? What choices do they make? Um, and I think that's very important. So, you know, now that I'm doing things that are even more meaningful, because now it's like I'm getting to give back from all of this hard work that I did, and I'm getting to help other people, and, you know, I, I'm getting to, to, to talk, and I'm excited to learn to learn more, and I, I get to spend more of my time doing what I want, and, you know, now I've gained more proficiency in, in Tai Chi and a lot of these other practices, and I, I get to explore other practices, right? I get to explore a lot of, you know, yoga, and I get to do more dance, and, you know, I get to try more modalities like Alexander Technique and Feldenkrais and Pilates and all these things, and I, you know, get to try, try new sports and things. And so now this has given me the opportunity to really spread my tendrils wide and not only try a bunch of different things, but see how do all these dots connect. And so, you know, I have this uh, unique experience of having the individual experience and going through the journey, as well as, you know, God knows how many hundreds of hours of just scientific reading and literature and basically being a, a student um, of, of health and really trying to get the, the academics and the, the, the studying down and speaking with more people and, and tying all of these experiences together to see if there isn't a more beautiful and coherent picture that we can draw on so that we at least have a map. And there's no way that I can give someone and just hand them, here's how to have a good relationship with another person. Here's how to have a good relationship to your body. Here's how to be healthy and well. But when we start to have a broad understanding of these are the many different knobs and levers and put into context 
okay, where are the different medical practitioners coming from? Where are these different kind of ideological perspectives coming from? What are all the different systems that affect well-being and health? We can start to, you know, add on to like, okay, here are the societal factors, here are the environmental factors, here's, you know, nutrition and sleep and like the low level kind of like biology or, or neurology of what's going on. Then we can talk about go a level up, we can talk about the psychology, we can talk about how am I approaching the world and am I approaching it from a, a state of fear or from a, a state of excitement and what are the dynamics at play that cause these to, to switch from one to another and how can I improve myself and make sure that I'm, I'm constantly kind of on this like this uptrain rather than the, the downtrain. We can talk about it more systematically from a, like here are the things that society or or almost the design of cities or the, the economic incentives of, of being sedentary and uh, what all that means. And so there's many different levels that we can start to play with. And all of the levels matter for well-being, but what we want is a, a way that we can start to make intelligent experiments, you know, and, and become our own experts and to become our own champions and to be really responsible for our own well-being and that requires being knowledgeable and uh so there, there's a lot going on there and that's really the ultimate goals of of this podcast is to start you know condensing my knowledge and experience and giving people a map so that they can make more intelligent decisions about where to explore and uh so that we can learn from each other and, you know, I think there's a lot of pessimism around uh, chronic pain, which, uh, which makes sense because from most practitioner standpoint, it feels like, you know, your practitioner, someone comes into you with chronic pain, you're like, God, I don't know how to help these people. I'll, I'll try these things that I know maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. And from a, a patient perspective, there's a lot of just these endless maybe maybes and some stuff maybe helps, some stuff it doesn't. And it just, um, it's rough. And so what we really need to do is we need to become an individual who has at least some of the knowledge of all the different practitioners and to actually create a life that works for us. Um, so a lot of the things we'll be talking about is medical. A lot of the things we'll be talking about is, is, is social and, and interpersonal. And, and uh, it's just how can we create the story that we want to. So that's the, that's the, the gist of what we're doing here. Um, and I'm really excited and I, I uh, hope to, to have you guys on this journey. And of course, um, you know, if, if any of the things that I'm saying are meaningful or impactful for you, it, uh, it would be meaningful and impactful for me and for others to, you know, do the, the subscribe, the share, the, you know, engaging with the material, you know, write comments, talk to people about them. Um, it's, a, you know, it's absolutely okay to, to be skeptical and also recognize how ignorant all of us are, right? And uh, so, you know, I think I, I do have some really a, a wealth and a profoundness of, of experience and knowledge, but that doesn't mean that everything that I say is going to be correct, right? We're on this train together. So um, let's do our due diligence. Let's, you know, do the studying and also recognize that there's risk in doing and there's risk in non-doing. So I, I look forward to having everyone on this journey with me and uh, to, see, to see really what we can find when we 
kind of explore the depths of our experience. Thanks.